0: And welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Chronicles of Wild Hollow.
1: In a far off place, an endless forest grows, sprawling, barren, impenetrable. But beyond the tree line, creatures roam free. A land where adventure lurks around every corner. A land where legends are made. A land called. Wild
0: Hollow. The Chronicles of Wild Hollow is an anthology fantasy musical created by Shouting is Funny, a production company formed by Christian Pousland, Harvey Badger, and Angus Maxwell. Wild Hollow is a fairy tale world populated by talking animals like you might see in The Wind in the Willows, but the series freely mixes in more grown-up themes into its stories, like adventure stager, satire, and self-aware jokes. It's also a musical, featuring two or three original songs in each episode. The Chronicles of Wild Hollow produces trilogies of stories around a particular protagonist. The first trilogy features the mouse Fandango Borsen, a gritty, streetwise, pistol-packing bounty hunter. In the first episode, titled Fandango Borsen and the Lilypad Lounge, Borsan investigates a new club whose guests seem hypnotically drawn to it night after night. I spoke to Harvey, Christian, and Angus remotely from London. Would each of you tell me a little bit about yourselves in terms of your history as an artist and a creative person? Yeah,
2: my name is Christian Powsland. I am a co-writer on the show, and then I'm the sound designer and lead composer as well. I have been based creatively in music for the longest amount of time. Both of my parents are music teachers, and Mm -hmm. so it was kind of impossible to grow up and avoid being musically interested and musically inclined. Learning trumpet and piano and singing, that sort of developed into a little bit of songwriting and being interested in that side of things. And then while I was in sixth form, that was sort of when I really started getting into acting and doing the school the school musicals. We did Sweeney Todd and Jesus Christ Superstar. And so when I left sixth form, I auditioned for drama school and didn't get in for two years of trying. But on my third year, I got into a school called Rose Bruford College uh, in London,
1: which is where I met these lovely gents, Harvey and Angus. So I'm Angus Maxwell. I'm a co-writer on the show as well. And I started quite similarly to Christian. My mum's a music teacher as well, so music was thrust upon me as a young child, but I was a bit more reluctant than Christian. I was taught clarinet from quite a young age and I was very, very reluctant to play. I really, really didn't enjoy it for the first few years of playing. And then as I sort of progressed through school and college, I was also in productions like Christian. I was in Sweeney Todd too, Christian.
2: Hey, look Um, at that.
1: Getting towards the end of college, I was kind of directionless. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, I sat down and thought about it with my mum, and I was kind of pressured into sort of going along the conventional route of university. Um, but I, I just realised that, you know, academic work particularly wasn't for me. So yeah. I, I thought about it, and I thought about what I enjoyed. Yeah, I just I just realised I wanted to wanted to do this. I was lucky enough to get onto the Rose Bruford Acting Musician course, where I met these two wonderful fellows. Thus began Shouting is Funny, our, our um, audio production
3: company. That's my cue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm Harvey Badger, uh, co-writer as well as the other two. And um, I also do all the concept art for the show. So we have uh, character images, cover art, things like that. And I'll call myself secondary uh, composer. I throw in a couple of songs here and there. (laughs) I'm sure it'll be a very similar story to these boys. But yeah, a creative family as well. Really supportive. I always wanted to be a painter when I was a little kid Hmm. or an illustrator. I wanted to make children's books which is funny how that idea has sort of come back round now that we've yeah. started on, on <laughs> this series. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I wanted to do that really, drawing and, you know, I, I was probably the easiest kid, I think, if um, you sat me down with some bits of plain paper and some crayons, that would be me taken care of for the whole afternoon. We did Romeo and Juliet when I was in about 10 years old, and it was a musical of Romeo and Juliet mm. written by, I think BBC Education, You, um, uh, the school sent off and they basically got a, a CD come in the mail and a right. script that they would photocopy for all the kids. And um, I just realized that actually singing in front of people was probably the most exciting thing that I'd ever done in my life. Mm. And it just stemmed from there, really. We had a very musical household. My parents love music. I think I had a tutor at, at college that just said, go to Rose Bruford. You need to apply to this school. And I was like, oh, what's that? And, um, and then I found it ended up ending up there and while we were there even more doors opened you know things like radio and audio drama and Mm. these these things that we'd never
0: really even heard of other than you know the archers on radio four so you all met at university tell me about that meeting and and how that evolved so i i must
2: admit i can't remember really the first time we all met as a three i don't know whether either of you can
3: i mean i think the first time we were all in a room was In the first week of uni, and you know, it's drama school, and it's taken us all a few years to get there, and it was very emotional. And then you're surrounded by actors and other dramatic people. So, my first memory of us all being in the same space probably all sat around in a circle, weeping with the rest (laughs) of our class (laughs) um, at the prospect of three years of doing this thing. And you know, that was very much encouraged by a lot of our tutors, uh, for better or for worse. (laughs) But I think um, we were
2: known around the school as quite a particularly emotional
1: group of people <laughs> every, every week there seemed to be someone experiencing some kind of trauma or something fueled by drama school didn't it it's that, yeah. that's the kind of thing you well, felt that, i mean that's the nature of the beast isn't it i mean well, I, that was me
0: too right we're all emotional people so. yeah we'll be, i suppose yeah.
1: That, that's what that's what draws us to the uh to the craft i guess mm. but i mean very quickly I, I i seem to remember us pretty quickly sort of forming a a, a unique kind of trio of, of of like friendship i guess and. I suppose it was, it was bolstered by our very quick apparent love for uh, radio drama. I remember basically the beginning of our audio drama process was all crowding into Christian's dorm room whilst, uh, in our first year of drama school and quite literally having no planning prior to hitting the record button, <laughs> just, just kind of <laughs> shouting into the microphone. And for some reason, and, and don't
3: ask me why we all absolutely loved it, didn't we boys? Oh, it's just the most fun thing. I think that's, you know, us coming together as three friends was probably just because you were the two people that made me laugh the most out of everyone that I met. (laughs) Mm. And I think that was reciprocated probably to the annoyance of a lot of our lecturers. Um, Yes. We couldn't quite stop ourselves. So um, we were sort of encouraged to just, you know, go away to the dorm room and and let all that energy out. (laughs) out literally, (laughs) literally.
2: I think we have an uncannily (laughs) similar sense of humour. Which I think is why collaboratively we we seem to work so well and are able to bounce ideas off each other so cohesively.
1: I, I think it's really interesting you say that because when we first all appeared at drum school, it was it was quite apparent that we got on very well together in terms of like sense of humour. But looking at it now, looking at that point like four years in the past compared to now, like our our sense of humour has kind of like
0: <laughs> grown
1: with each other. You know what I mean? They've like developed, and we have kind of know we or know deteriorated exactly, or deteriorated. Yet. One huge.
3: <laughs> Awful beast has emerged yes. from
1: that.
0: <laughs> Questionably funny.
3: <laughs> that well, that's gonna be our second company name. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, you all graduated. Um, what kept you together?
2: So we graduated in 2020. So we we were released into the creative industry in the midst of COVID and the pandemic. Mm. Shouting is funny was absolutely born from a joint need for the three of us to still want to create and make something. And because we'd had this prior experience of diving into my bedroom and creating random audio drama stuff, we realised that that was something that was still in some way, shape or form, a capable way of us creating whilst we were in isolation and separated. And the, the company was More of a a requirement for all of us to kind of keep saying.
1: Mm. That's a good way of putting it, isn't it, Christian? Because when you graduate from drama school, it's like three years of build up to a climax of bursting out into an industry which is like full of the thing you absolutely love. And when that's snubbed by a an event such as the pandemic, you're you're like left with all this like creative energy.
3: Yeah, it's great to have that focus. You know, something to oh, it sounds so dramatic, doesn't it? Something to get out of bed for, but. It really was at a point, yeah, especially one of the lockdowns, you know, like the highlight that we were, you know, either we were living off the end of our student loan um, yeah. that we, you know, hadn't needed to spend because we were all locked down or we were on furlough from our various sort of Saturday jobs, you know, working in restaurants and pubs and things that were all closed. So the only thing to sort of get up at 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning was to have a Zoom call with these guys with a hot coffee and create some
0: stories and have fun and make each other laugh. So you started Shouting is Funny, your, your company, and you started making your show, The Chronicles of Wild Hollow, as your first project. It's really an interesting concept. You know, it's part satire. It's part wind in the willows. It's part fantasy. It's part crime drama. Talk to me about how you guys decided to create this particular world and start telling these kinds of stories. I remember right at the beginning of one of the lockdowns
1: harvey messaged the group chat and he was he messaged something saying i've just i've just had this dream and he sort of sent this like it was just like a section from like a novel or something of a mouse pursuing some baddie across a cliff or something like that and then we were like oh my god this is this is genius and i think i think you can, i think harvey came up with the name then and there it was fandango borsan and it's such a such a bizarre fantastic name and we were just like Yeah, like, yeah, of course, of course, this is what we should do. Uh, So we had
3: this running (laughs) gag of just uh, finding the weirdest funny names for pets or animals that we could, (laughs) you know, that sort of silliness is what spurs on all sorts of our ideas. But yeah, it it was a bit of free writing. Um, I think I was just so bored. And um, yeah, I think the boys just latched onto it. And it just flew from there, really.
0: What about this idea stuck with all of you to make it turn into a whole show?
1: I think. I, go on, Angus. Have you got? Yeah,
0: I was just going to say, Fandango
1: Borsan is a funny name, but um, maybe that's maybe, that's not, maybe that's, <laughs> that's, that's not. that's not. a serious <laughs> answer, man. I'm, yeah, no, I I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm just yeah.
2: <laughs> I think honestly, when when something does make all of us laugh, we can kind of kind of trust that it's it's a half baked decent idea. So then everything, everything else from Wild Hollow grew from that kernel of an idea. So hmm. it was a mouse, and because it was a mouse, therefore all the other characters were going to be animals as well.
0: Wild Hollow is, would it be fair to call it an anthology? It's going to be a, a series of stories set in the same world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first is three episodes of the story of Fandango Borsan, who is a mouse bounty hunter, But for all the world, he seems like a noir detective, even though he specifically says (laughs) in the first episode that he's not. And uh, the first episode is uh, Fandango Borsin and the Lilypad Lounge. What makes you so suspicious of this glitzy joint?
3: Well, at first I thought I was being bitter, you know, hijacking my business and all. But then stranger things started happening. Folks I spoke to said they couldn't get enough. Like they had to go back. They was drawn there. A change of scenery? But it's more than that. Fat Percy stumbled in here the other night. I hadn't seen him for days. His wife said he'd been there the whole time. Well, he was out of his mind, muttering all sorts of mumbo-jumbo. What was he saying? You can ask him yourself. Billy Bob
1: pointed to the end of the bar. A pile of clothes with a dusty fedora sat in the shadows, snoring gently. Slowly, the hat lifted, revealing the sweaty, disheveled face of fat Percy. It's like he's stuck in some movie.
0: Clearly, you guys are having some fun with the noir genre here. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Borsan is uh, recruited by his friend, a bartender, to go investigate a new club that's opened in town, the Lilypad Lounge. There, he meets Madame Marlowe, who is our femme fatale, and I, I think I got the tip of the hat to Philip Marlowe there. Excellent. And then, of course, he also meets Martha the Waitress, who is the good girl that we often see in film noir. Talk to me a little bit about why you wanted to do a little satire of film noir here. To start with, using these
3: sort of set genres and these uh, recognizable tropes or structures was a way to tie in some of the more irreverent and odd things that we were throwing at the project. Whether it's the characters or the names or things that we wanted them to do, if we could hang it on something recognisable, almost something so recognisable that to do it seriously would feel like a shame, because a, <laughs> a pastiche or poking fun or you know trying to be clever um, <laughs> would have mm. felt like the way to go about it. I, I mean, in the in the genre of noir,
1: there, there is so much to to play off in terms of. Uh, I I guess, satire and comedy, especially if you're sort of doing it a bit bit tongue-in-cheek.
2: I think quite early on, we sort of knew that we wanted to try and jump around a few tropes,
0: a few different genres and pastiche opportunities. Is it fair to say that other episodes won't necessarily be satire, but you still may be playing with genres and tropes and things like that?
2: Oh, definitely, yeah. A lot of what we do is less hitting the nail on the head as the Pad Lounge being a noir episode is that was very much more of a heavier satirical
0: approach. Some of the humor you guys put in there is really funny. I'm, I'm struck by the fact that the club turned it to all black and white except for lipstick. You no. know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> say you all frogs like the workers here, all frogs. Madame Marlowe likes to know she can trust everyone, Marlowe. What's her story? You're going to have to buy another drink if you want to keep asking questions. I'll get in trouble.
1: Fandango knocked back his scotch, placing a crisp hollow dollar bill beneath the glass as he slid it back across the bar towards her, lacking any subtlety. Why would you get in trouble? What's going on in this place? Martha glanced at the note, then slid it back.
2: Save your cash for the taxi home.
1: I prefer to walk.
2: Well, walk away. I've got nothing for you.
1: I ain't a snake,
2: but I can tell someone has got you rattled. Take your questions elsewhere before you get us both mixed up in a cocktail of bad news.
0: <laughs> That's classic noir pattern there.
3: <laughs> yeah. We were pushing each other. I think we were. Who can come up with the the most pastiche noir line and we would yeah. just keep pushing and throwing <laughs> yeah. another until it got to a point we're like no you can't put that I That's can't do that <laughs> the not <dames, laughs> yeah <laughs> as much as we could shoehorn in um again it comes back to that thing of trying to make each other laugh at the same time you know yeah. we've decided we're gonna create this world these episodes and take it seriously or as seriously as we can to create a product that we're really proud of And it's part of why the company name is kind of important to us as much as anyone else, because it's a little reminder that we need to be making each other laugh at the same time for
0: the work to continue to be at the level that we want it to be at. People assume that play is frivolous, but I don't think so. I think play can be very serious. Serious not in tone, but in commitment, right? A 100%. But speaking of maybe a little bit of the serious edge of this, the motivation of Madame Marlowe is interesting to me she's got this plot to try to control the people in the city with this mind control sludge. And the reason she does that is, is a kind of racism. It's um, discrimination against frogs who are considered to be ugly. And she actually talks about Borsen for having backwards, small minded views.
3: You see, there's a certain reputation attached to my kind. Frogs have been discriminated against for years.
2: Slimy, disgusting, Now, isn't that unfair? Isn't that wrong? I think so. So I'm going to change
0: everything.
1: Madame Marlowe smiled darkly.
0: I'm going to prove to the world that we are beautiful. Talk to me about why you wanted to use that as the core motivation for your villain. I think it's really
1: interesting not to just write a bad guy as a bad guy, you know? it feels like the character becomes, albeit we're writing about talking animals here, the character becomes more real when their
3: motivations are real and relatable, you know? I think, you know, you talked about having Fandango being called this, you know, small-minded or backwards. And he's the, you know, the archetype of all the stories and films that we've seen, you know, over decades and decades. Um, So that's the convention. So having something that is directly trying to oppose that convention and where your hero maybe isn't your hero for a moment or your villain is speaking sense i think those are the questions that we should kind of be asking all the time
0: i want to talk about the fact that you are choosing to do a musical now i understand that that's your training and you have background in that you're the first audio drama that i've interviewed that is actually a musical Mm. um and i i also know that musicals are a ton of work talk to me about (laughs) why (laughs) why you um, wanted to go down that road it was kind of never up
2: the question that there would be Mm -hmm. music involved in in this as well Mm -hmm. and at least initially none, none of us were aware of what that actually entailed (laughs) workload wise you have like two
0: original songs in every episode or something like that we
2: two minimum uh, we aim for three there's only two in that first episode i think yeah i think by the end of the borsan trilogy we were kind of locking in more to a structure that we really liked and we like to try and get three in if, if possible but yeah, it, it's it's absolutely chock full of music and songs. And I don't think we'd have it any other way. I, I personally just absolutely adore that it's it's infused with this stuff and it gives me great joy, but it also gives me endless <laughs> sleepless <laughs> nights um, <laughs> just, just putting it all together. It does take a ridiculous amount of energy and, and time, yeah.
3: I think we've found a new recruit in you My little furry friend Do you think you'd bring this to an end? Sorry to disappoint
0: Hitter
3: boys, I think when we were uh, starting out, deciding that you know, okay, let's do an audio drama and let's uh, use all the skills we have in our tool belt, we just sort of threw everything at it. We're like, okay, what are things that we can do that maybe other people that are doing this uh, don't do in theirs? And so, music and songs, compositions. Like that had to be part of it. It's why we have illustrations as well for an audio drama. That's a completely, you know, our old (laughs) medium, but we've got all these images that you can check out if you want to, to give depth to it. And we have that because we can, it's something that we have as a trio that we can pull together.
0: What makes a good musical number?
3: It's got to have a hook. For me, it has to be catchy. You have to be able to hum it when you leave, you know, so many musicals you're in there in the theater and you're watching it and you're engaged and you're like, oh, this is a great story. And I'll I'll leave and I'll be walking down the road and I'll go, Oh, I couldn't hum one of the songs in that show. It doesn't matter what you're saying, as long as it's catchy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the emotional content, the lyrics, none of that. Nice. Oh, all back no, seat, no, no, all back no, no, Don't, don't <laughs> be silly. No. no. <laughs> yeah, Christian. I think
2: I think if you can if you can write a song that someone comes away and A kind of remembers how it goes but B, can sort of be along for the ride, get a sense of the message or the, what you're trying to convey in that moment of the story, I think you've, I think you've ticked all the boxes. And that's what we yeah. try and do.
0: So thinking about doing your work and doing your art, what do you struggle with, either personally or creatively? I can get stuck
3: on, um, on an idea, you know, after the initial excitement has worn off, and maybe you've done a draft, or you've done a couple of drafts, and you know you need to do more. And and you get a bit caught up in your own thoughts on it. And that's something that I've sort of noticed as I'm learning my process as being a writer that, that's popping up. But I think what's actually lovely about doing this show is that um, that's OK, because there are two other writers who mm-hmm. can carry you through those moments. And yeah. and it's almost like we never get stuck because we've got three brains to try and fix one problem. I'm probably the least experienced writer
1: Add to all three of us. And I feel like when you're new to a, a field such as that, it's always quite daunting. Uh, I found myself stuck a lot of the time because I was like, in my head, I was like, oh God, this doesn't sound good at all. This, this, mm. uh, how am I going to impress my my fabulous colleagues who are you know, so distinguished? Um, <laughs> <laughs> once you realize that you've got two other people with you who are also your best friends, the, the pressure is like really lifted. The other thing that I do struggle with is all three of us, we've all got like full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of this process now we're out of the lockdowns is taking up all of our spare time. And that's not an issue because we really, really love to do what we're doing, but it is just such a monumental task that there is just such a craving for like wanting to just like sink your teeth into this all the Mm. time. You know, when you're, especially when you're at work, you know, I I work behind a bar and there are so, there are so many moments when I'm just pouring the 700th pint of the day that I'm just like, oh, I I could, be in a studio with my, with my colleagues writing something amazing but
0: you're right work-life balance is tough yeah um
2: christian what do you struggle with i find my meticulous nature incredibly frustrating at times especially when it comes to the sound design specifically it's a vast amount of work and it, it is it falls to me to do it and i adore doing it it's i haven't done sound design before wild hollow and i've found something that i absolutely love so it's not it's not an issue but i find myself listening to 5, 10, 15 different versions of the splat sound effect that Slug Hunter's going to make. That will take me 15 minutes. It'll take me half an hour to work out exactly what the right noise is. And then I realise it's half one in the morning. Alongside what Angus just said, the work-home-life balance is currently a bit of a frustrating one because it is exactly, like this is what we want our full-time job to be. Like We would love this to be our actual job. And not just a, an absolute labor of love.
3: I think it takes a bit of time to to realize that, you know, on, on your journey, like of deciding that this is the thing you want to do. This is what you're going to commit your time to, you know, career mm. or whatever you call it. And it, it takes a while to realize what success means to you. Being able to do that thing and survive off it and do the next thing, that is success. And I think it, it can take a lot of time to to realize that.
0: This is my next question, is how do you measure success? You want to stick by that, Harvey?
3: Yeah, being able to do the things that make you happy and not be stressed about spending time doing those and not something else so that you can live comfortably. I think the healthy way to look at it is success is being able to do the thing that I love and not have to do something else to support me doing that. As artists and creatives, it's very easy to tie in your success in work to your success and happiness in life you know talk to an actor at a party say how are you doing and you go oh yeah well i had this audition and i'm in this thing It's i like, know no, how are you doing that's work but also life yeah. happens outside of that too
1: we've got a really wonderful fan base who who are constantly showing their support to us just to see people being grateful and like the occasional sort of oh i, I love when fandango shot that dude or or something <laughs> like that it was just like it just it really uh, makes you feel like people are actually listening and um it feels good to be recognized i guess in terms mm, of in yeah. terms of that thing but i mean also measuring it on how much fun you're having and i mean we have so much fun so i guess we are supremely successful <laughs> hell, hell yeah. yeah
0: christian i
2: know how much work goes into this show from all three of us and more everyone who gets involved in the show but i think just having a final product a final episode that you can hit play on and sit back and just listen to it for 40 minutes and just be like, yeah, we, we made that. That's an absolute
0: success. What are some lessons you have learned along the way about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own?
2: I would say one thing that we came across and kind of, kind of got it right by the end of the third episode in the trilogy was episode structure. And we really realized that the extent that you can go to with audio, the, assistance that you can give to an audience member in guiding them from place to place and these elements that you can utilize in audio drama that we literally just didn't know none of us have really uh, we've said we haven't really come from any kind of audio drama background so
3: we're stumbling across stuff all the time not holding back behind a mic i think it's such a simple thing and you know any real professional actor with experience will you know if they heard this be like yeah of course that's the first thing you've got to do but not limiting yourself by your surroundings you know the amazing thing with audio drama is that you can just close your eyes and imagine you are anywhere and I think that has to come in at every step of the creation process as well is remembering that what you're making has the potential to just be limitless and you can tell your story and give it so much more depth, and that is in the the performance as well as the the structure and the writing.
1: Writing's difficult for me, basically, and I'd spend so much time second guessing myself, I guess. And uh, I I think my I think my advice would be to to people who are new to the field just just put the pen to paper, write some stuff down. Doesn't matter if it's crazy or it doesn't make sense. You can always redraft and especially when you're working with other people, you can always just develop stuff. Don't be too precious about what you're writing because the likelihood is the first thing you write down probably won't be the final product, you know? And yeah, be bold in terms of your writing. Don't be afraid of sounding too bizarre or anything. Push it, you know, you can always pull it back if you push it too far. Yeah, I would say as well, like something that we have wonderfully
2: stumbled across is collaborative, creative process. If you are considering doing something like this and you are currently a one-person team, consider collaborating. Look for people who might be like-minded and might be interested in doing a similar sort of thing because it's been formative in what we've created. The story of Artemis Grey is going to be launching soon. When will that go live? Late May is the hope. It's sort of barreling towards being finished, but there's a huge amount still to do. So we
3: don't want to nail down an absolute release date. And then what's next after that? Well, we do have an overarching idea for this batch of Wild Hollow uh, stories. So we've had our first two trilogies. There will be a third trilogy, which will look at a third protagonist. And as we sort of go through these narratives, we'll notice that things from stories that maybe we've heard before start chiming back in and connecting.
0: No Wild Hollow children's books coming?
3: Oh, I, I, mean, I mean, we'd love that one, so. <laughs> If we can get some money to make some children's books, (laughs) hell yeah, I'd be down for that. That'd be my childhood dream, realised there.
2: I mean, the scope of what we want to do with Wild Hollow and Shouting is Funny goes way beyond audio drama. The sort of fantastical nature of what we make, we think would really lend itself to some sort of animated format as well. So long-term goals, who knows? Like, World's Our Oyster, if that oyster contains huge amounts of money.
1: The band sprung into action and a crowd excitedly hurried onto the checkerboard dance floor. Welcome everybody to a special night, have we got a show for you alright? Grab
3: yourself a drink and settle down, relax, you're in the swankiest club in town. Don't believe us, soak yourself, feel free to have a search around. You'll never
1: have a better time than here at the Lily Bag Lounge.
0: It's a lot of work to write a musical and even more to produce it and record it in one's spare time. But the work pays off in Wild Hollow. It's a fun fantasy world with a lot of development, sly stories, funny moments, and toe-tapping tunes. It's also a good example of how collaboration multiplies talent, a valuable lesson for the indie audio drama scene. You can listen to The Chronicles of Wild Hollow on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.